Welcome into the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dan Viennes. I am joined today by Dana O'Gorman and Brandon Schultz, a name and a voice that you certainly recognize. And I suppose on some level, if you listen to the Field Goals Podcast traditionally or you follow any of us on Twitter, you probably know Dana too. But uh, just for the sake of introductions... Uh, Brandon, of course, has been hosting the Field Goals podcast uh, for the last few years. That's how we got to know each other. Uh, Dana is a member of the Pro Football Writers Association, does a lot of writing on the sport, multiple podcasts, uh, and has a big following on Twitter um, as well. And I suppose, Brandon, that to use a real obvious football term, uh, I guess this is the official handoff of sorts. That you're, yeah, we you're can call, st- call it a handoff. I'm, I mean, I'm still uh, in backup mode or or whatever you might refer to me as a, a, a man on the bench, maybe. Still in the uh, family. Still part, still still part of the family. Goals, uh, but maybe just not on the mic every single day, every single week. Yeah. And yeah, I you know, when you brought up Dana and, and you and me, I, I feel like if people have listened to Seahawks podcasts, they will all know our voices yeah. already. Yeah. We're, we're all kind of in the, under the same umbrella, right? Right. And Dana's been writing for Our Turf, does podcasts for them as well. You also see her on, on uh, Real Hawk Talk. Um, Dana, how's it going? Welcome. It's good. I'm excited. You yeah. know, I, I've done this podcast a couple of times with Brandon and always enjoyed it so much. So when this opportunity presented itself, I'm like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. It's, it gives me one more place where I can talk Seahawks football, even though I live in the Midwest. So right. that's a great thing. <laughs> it was a no brainer for me when Brandon reached out. The field goals brand has always meant a lot to me. I, I've always, uh, to me, they were the kind of the first and foremost or at the forefront of the back when they were called blogs, the whole Seahawks sort of fan written um, experience. Um, And honestly, my history with Twitter and getting connected with other Seahawks fans and kind of growing that following 10 years ago, uh, I give a lot of that credit to Danny Kelly, the former managing editor of the site. And, and there was a time, I think it was the year we won the Super Bowl, and it was, it was so new to everybody. And it was such a big deal to go, watch the buses depart and go to the airport, right? For the team to fly out. And I was out there one day and I was live tweeting stuff and Danny picked up on it and got it out. And I gained hundreds and hundreds of followers because of that. <laughs> so my history with field goals goes back away. And Danny, you and I have been following and interacting with each other on Twitter for, for years. We've just never spoken directly like this. I know. It is funny. It's such a wonderful community, to be honest with you. I mean, people can complain all they want about the 12s and how they're annoying. And yeah, <laughs> we are. Every fan base is. I'm just letting you know you're not alone in all this. Yeah. But it is very interesting how you really feel like you get to know people and you get to know who they are just through the way they tweet and the way you chat back and forth. So. Right. It's so fun when we actually get to see each other and chat with each other and and spend time talking about football. It, it, it's just really, it, it's a great platform. Well, shall we talk about some football? Let's do it. So the preseason officially over now. Roster cuts. Uh, as we record this, um, about 24 hours from now, one o'clock Pacific time tomorrow, teams have to get down to 53. Um, probably won't be very much news today um, because as we know, this is where teams are trying to fix the back end of their roster, right? John Schneider's probably blowing his cell phone up today, trying to fix some things. I want to I want to start with your overall impressions first. Just kind of, Dana, how did the preseason feel to you? The performance on the field? Um, any thoughts you have? Just your general impression when you think back on those three games, what's your biggest takeaway? Um, 
Well, I think we definitely have to start with the absolute impressive play of Cross and how lucky I feel like Seattle is that they they picked him up and grabbed him. Um, I was lucky enough to be at the draft and I got to chat with him for a while. He's a fantastic young man. Yeah. Um, but he just to watch him and then to hear like major media talk about him is just really exciting. So to be able to sit and watch him during during those games, you really could see what they were talking about and how he just was at a different level. And then, of course, the quarterback competition was pretty disappointing to me. I'm not going to lie. I really I, – I wasn't cheering for one way or the other. I'm completely cheering for 2023. That is where I'm at. Yeah. But I really expected there to be more there. And, of course, you can't help COVID. You can't help things like that for right. Drew Locke. But it just seemed so cut and dry even from the beginning. That That was pretty disappointing to me. Yeah, Brandon, uh, we're going to talk, obviously, about the quarterback situation um, a little bit later. In fact, I think we should probably leave that till the end because we probably have the <laughs> most to say about that as, sure. it, as it still might not be settled. But, um, Brandon, your thoughts overall on the preseason. What stood out to you? The the highlight was definitely the offensive line. And for Seahawks fans, I mean, going back to the Holmgren years, I, I feel like we've never been completely excited about the offensive line. But with this group, you you even saw... With Damian Lewis going down, Phil Haynes being able to come in and fill in and and still look like you have a, a pretty solid line. I mean, penalties uh, accepted yeah. in a couple of different games. Uh, so maybe I'll go there as, as some of my negatives is the penalties, even in the preseason. Uh, tackling, I, I hope that that's starting to get cleaned up now yeah. that you're three preseason games in. I'm, I'm not as concerned about that. Um and the other area of the team, I guess I, I do have a bit of concern on is wide receivers because I, I feel like part of the reason why we weren't able to to get a, a great feel for the quarterback battle is because the guys catching the passes weren't wow. always catching the passes. Yeah. It, it's funny. We didn't discuss this in ahead of time or ahead of time. We just talked about some general points we were going to talk about. But I'm on the same page with you guys. I mean, to me, overwhelmingly, what stands out to me about this preseason is a play of that offensive line. And it's not any, really any combination they put out there. They're, and, you know, truth be told, we've had issues with the offensive line over the years, right? We could, we've talked about that ad nauseum. We've seen those issues in the preseason. It's not like the offensive line in, in years past has looked good. And then, you know, and then the gun sounds and, and things fall to pieces. I felt like all three games they might've been the best position group on the field. And it didn't matter who was out there, whether it was Jake Curran at right, at right tackle, or if it was Abe Lucas, Charles Cross looked like a starter from day one. Um, people that I really trust and respect about offensive line play that know a lot more about it than I do, rave about Austin Blythe and the fit in this system and the stability he's brought to the center position. And then the depth at guard. I just feel like it gives this team a chance to win regardless really of who plays quarterback at some level. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing about this for me during this preseason was also just the complete feeling of a new beginning, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we can talk about the past all we want, but really watching this, I paid no attention to the other teams they were playing. I, I didn't pay any attention yeah. in any way, shape or form. I was so hyper-focused on watching what does that possible third or fourth stringer have that we might be missing. And we had some great 
you know, surprises. I was very impressed with the running back group. Um, even God help us, Travis Homer, who people love to rip apart. I was very impressed with the way he played. And that I think has a direct line to the offensive line and how right. that they played for sure. But I just felt like this watching these games, it was exciting and, and fresh. And I was really ready for that. Yeah. And that's, you know, we haven't talked since the Russell Wilson trade, but that's, I'm one of those really weird football fans where the second we made that deal, I got excited because I would much rather watch, I'm kind of sick in this way. I'd rather watch a rebuild than, than have us be in the situation we were where because of the quarterback that we had, because of his salary constraints and the way the roster was constructed every year, it just felt like we were kind of duct taping things together, trying to find lightning in a bottle, trying to put that one group together that can make one more run. This is a lot more fun for some of us football fans watching these young kids play. And we saw even on defense, Brandon, you mentioned the tackling, but man, I saw a lot of speed and I saw guys flying around and I saw a lot of guys that aren't going to be playing on Sundays, but that could play on Sundays. And I'm, we've, we've talked mostly about the offense so far. I'm really excited about the talent they've added to that defense. The thing that got me the most excited about the defense was watching them early on when Justin Fields in the Bears game, they looked so quick off the ball. They looked like they were disruptive and and getting uh, fields moving around in the backfield. And, you know, you got fast guys like Daryl Taylor out there who I'm really excited to see. Boy, Mafe showing up yeah. in the preseason as well. Uh, so that's looking like, you know, when you talk about the returns from Russell Wilson, I mean, we've already brought up Charles Cross, Boy Mafe on the other side, uh, Tariq Woolen showing that, yeah. you know, while he may not be an immediate starter, it, well, he may be by default based on yeah. <laughs> some of what we've seen from the corners. But, uh, you know, we could see a lot of return from that trade really early on with these young players and, and two of them being on defense. It just feels like, you know, once Russell was traded, you felt like to to jumpstart this rebuild, they had to have a really good offseason. And, you know, we've all talked about their draft history over the last seven or eight years. And year after year after year, the draft comes around. You get excited about the draft. You overstudy the heck out of the draft, right? We do mocks. We talk about different scenarios. And then every single time uh, Roger Goodell or someone else steps up to the podium to announce the Seahawks pick. We all look at each other and start texting our buddies and going, what did we just do? That's a guy I didn't even study. That's a guy I didn't even think of this year. I felt like they nailed every pick and they nailed every free agent signing. And, and not to say that they're all going to work out perfectly, but they needed to add an infusion of talent across the board to this roster. And I feel like, and we're going to talk about potential weaknesses and concerns we have here in a minute, but I feel like you're hard pressed now to look at any position group and not see youth upside and depth at every level. And that's the important thing with the trade, right? That if you're going to make a trade that huge, then you, you have to see a return like that. Yeah, absolutely. Dana, do you have any concerns about the roster at this point as we go into cut down day? Um, not deep concerns. No, to be honest with you, I, I think there's definitely a couple holes that could be filled. There's a, definitely some question marks, um, some, you know, depth issues. And I say that outside of the quarterback room because the quarterbacks do not matter to me this year. Once again, I'm so focused hmm. on next year, but, um, that's why you're so unconcerned about, uh, this year because you're looking <laughs> yeah, forward to next year. I am. And, you know, and that was, 
a million people have said this. I'm not the first person to say this, but this just feels so much like 2011. And it's that same kind of see what you got before you can get to the good stuff sort of a thing. And I love that. And I, I think that um, they really did back to your draft conversation. They nailed this draft. And, and I know that there were a lot of people that weren't real happy about Kenneth Walker's pick and where they picked him because he was a running back. We don't pick running backs at that, blah, blah, blah. But I will tell you sitting in that draft room with all those media people, there was a gasp when Seattle picked him up, they were thrilled for Seattle. They're like, that's the guy. And I, so I really feel like sometimes our biases as Seahawks fans kind of, you know, taint what we see in front of us. Um, But yeah, I agree with you. This draft was great, which just makes me think there's going to be some growing pains. It's going to take a couple of years for some of these guys or not years, excuse me, games to get into the groove of this, but it's going to be so fun to watch them blossom. And we got to see it in the preseason. We got immediate returns. Really, Tyreek Smith is the only guy because of injury that didn't perform on the field. We got to see every single draft pick except for him play significant minutes and show the upside that entices Seahawks in the first place. And you mentioned Woolen. It reminds me of the Trey Flowers year where he was drafted. They really had a need at that position. They had some injury concerns that year as well. He was a converted safety. You know, you heard you heard about how good he looked in camp, but there was no thought that he was going to be ready to start at cornerback in the NFL day one, and yet he did. And, you know, Trey Flowers didn't exactly work out, but I think everybody agrees that, that Tariq Woolen has much more upside and his ceiling's much higher than Trey Flowers. But he certainly didn't look like a guy who was overmatched. And if he has to go against the Broncos, I'm sure Russell will be salivating at that thought, but he looked like a guy who could hold his own and belongs in the NFL right now. If we could get a year of Trey Flowers, that first year of Trey Flowers play when he was a rookie, I I think so many of us Seahawks fans were excited about what he could be based on that first year, Mm -hmm. but he never, he just, he never really grew beyond what we saw in that first year where uh, I think the hope is with Woolen, man, if you could get a, a year like that and then have the growth potential beyond that, um, you know, maybe he has a, a bit of a higher ceiling than Trey. And well, I mean, Trey's still in the NFL, so yeah. it's not like uh, he's well a, a scrub either, but right. <laughs> you, know, you just, you have a hope. I I, maybe we were game. just spoiled by Sherman. It's like, oh, well, you just draft a corner a in the bit. fifth round. He goes on to be in the Hall of Fame. And that's just how it works with Pete Carroll. Yeah. And Danny, you mentioned the the 2011. I, I'm absolutely on the same page with you on that. It's people forget, you know, they talk about the 2012 draft with Bobby and, and Russell. And, but the year before was the year they drafted Cam. And it was the year they drafted KJ. And they'd put some pieces in place. And basically, they'd built up the roster at every position except the quarterback position. And then they addressed that in 2012 by getting Russell. So we're going to talk a lot about quarterbacks over the next five or six months. I'm as excited to watch college football this year as I have in a long time because there's 10 or 12 guys I want to watch every Saturday because we're going to have a shot at those guys, but we'll we'll talk plenty about them. There is one, um, and I find it interesting that none of us are that concerned about the bottom of the roster. I think that's different this year too. I think, I think in years past, there's always been a couple of potential shocking moves or some real significant bubble guys that we're waiting out the the roster for. I think maybe the biggest name that might be on the chopping block tomorrow is LJ Collier. And I don't think any of us will lose any sleep over the fact that they have to cut a former first round pick. 
I, I would be totally fine with that. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I, one thing I, I really preach a lot is we have to remember that this is these men's dream and their jobs and mm-hmm. to not be too obnoxiously cocky about, you know, them getting cut. But I don't think that would have a significant impact on the team if he were not going to be on the team, I guess yeah. is the way to look at that. Um, and so I think that that, uh, he would not be a heartbreak for many. The interesting thing here that I really want to, as they start to cut these players, and there's going to be a lot of them, then names that people really don't know and that didn't get a lot of playing time and and that sort of thing. I The only name I would like to see cut, and this is going to make a couple of the people I know very unhappy, is I really don't like Jason Myers' contract. I really don't hmm. like the way he plays. I wouldn't mind if he were gone. They could pick up a different punter um, or kicker, excuse me. And so I think that that would be, that would be okay. I don't think that's going to happen. Not with the state of the NFL at the moment. I'm like, they're going to stay right where they're at. And there just aren't 32 good ones. No, there's not. We we see that churn every year in the league. It's kind of like, it's kind of like with relief pitchers in baseball. Like you just kind of have to get lightning in a bottle and they got that one year out of Jason. And and that could be a concern because this offense might be kicking a lot of field goals this year. A lot yeah. of field goals. And yeah, that someone said um, that he's the perfect fantasy sleeper because he's might not be that great as a kicker, but he's going to be able to kick a lot. So, you know, you'll have a better chance, I guess, at that. Yeah. I guess my biggest concern as this cut day comes and I want people to be really wary of is I don't want them to make some splash or some crazy trade hmm. and go pick for some big name. I don't want that this year. I want as much money as humanly possible for next year so they can go into next year and see where their holes truly are after we get through some of the players that we have keep their eyeballs out and then say okay much like they did when they picked up cliff averill and michael bennett they saw what they needed and they waited to go get them until that need was glaringly obvious they have to get through some of these young guys first yeah the one thing that i look for when it comes with with the 53 man cut uh i still think there's got to be some linebacker depth out there because what we saw in the preseason, if there's if there's any position that I want John Schneider hunting the waiver wire, waiver wire for, linebacker depth has got to be it. Yeah, when Nick Ballore is your backup middle linebacker, um, <laughs> that that's a problem. And, and, you know, we saw flashes from Joel DeBlanco, at, but, you know, do any of us think he could contribute on Sundays uh, when the bullets are flying? I don't know. I think that's got to be an area of need and, you know, that maybe they're out there shopping for guys that are on the bubble and, and willing to offer some late picks for guys so that they can they can beat other teams to the waiver wire. That's definitely one glaring thing that I think needs to be addressed. The other thing to me is if Austin Blythe does go down, I don't know. We've seen what Kyle Fuller can do at center. And they never really gave Dakota Shepley a legit shot at center. And I know they've experimented with Phil Haynes there, but now he needs to play guard every day. I... I would like to see them add another center, maybe a guy that can swing and play some guard too, that just in case Blythe goes down, because we've seen the impact he can have on this line. Uh, you'd hate to see a big drop off there if we had to if we had to go to our second center. And yet we know from the past that is not ever an area of focus yeah. for this team. Yeah. They, they, this is not they something that they worry year. about. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is not something that they lose sleep over. And so I don't know that that would happen. Sure, it'd be nice. Yeah. But I definitely think that there are there, there's other areas that they're linebacker is a huge one. But again, once again, I don't we still have to kind of play this out and see how it works. And, and, may, and there's a lot of fans that do not tolerate wait and see. I get that. Um, I just, I just don't want there to be a big jump 
And we're going to talk about a big jump later in this podcast, but I really don't want there to be a big jump. I think the most fun thing uh, that I look forward to on the roster cut down is to see what they do with that wide receiver group. I mean, you know, the running backs are set. I'm glad you mentioned that position group. I thought DJ Dallas really established himself this preseason and, and really showed off the depth in that room. And we didn't even see Josh Johnson this preseason. I like him. He'll probably end up on the practice squad again. But it'll be interesting to see what they do with all those receivers. They drafted two, and they both had their moments, Bo Melton and, and Derek Young. Uh, but they both had some drops. Brandon, you talked about touchdown drops. Drew Locke's mm-hmm. day would have looked a lot better against the Cowboys if uh, if those guys could hold on to the football. And there you go. There's, uh, hey, you were what, telling me before we came on that what, uh, maybe, maybe expect a siren or at two. At the Dan Cave Studio. is on what they call Pill Hill here in Seattle. There's three, uh, three hospitals nearby. So... Hopefully they're okay. Um, but the, the receiver group, I've, I've seen some roster projections with the Seahawks keeping as many as seven of them, which would mm-hmm. include Penny Hart. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see how they handle that group, how many bodies they keep, and whether or not they keep the two seventh rounders because they both showed flashes um, despite the drops in the preseason. I think you could probably get young to the practice squad I'd I'd like to see them keep Melton. I think of the the younger guys. Yeah. Um, Cade Johnson, maybe he could make it to the practice squad. I I really don't know if I could see seven guys uh, making the roster. Maybe initially, just because they they tend to do some screwy roster things uh, once the once the fifty three man comes out initially. Um, I'm but, glad you brought that up because that is one thing that I that I forget about, and we need to probably remind our listeners is don't judge the final 53 on what happens tomorrow at one o'clock. We've seen years. We could see John Schneider cut, go down to three receivers, right? We've seen weird years where they keep an extra body or two in a position group that doesn't seem to need it. And then he works on stuff throughout the week. And, And this year, more than ever, without that fourth preseason game, that extra week now before the opener, Gives, gives more time. Because in the past, we would see Schneider make all these crazy moves and pick up three or four bodies to add to the 53, and then they had to play a game on Sunday. So the more time now, I'd, I could see I could see three or four significant, not significant in the way that you're talking about, Dana, with big names, but impactful moves at a, at, at a position group that, that it'll look a lot different next Tuesday than it might tomorrow. I, I don't even think that's an if. I think it's a when. It's, it's going to happen. That this... The, the shuffling that goes on um, during – now with that extra week, like you said, the shuffling that goes on all over the league is crazy. And so people will say, oh, but what about – what about – I'm like, well, what about in two days? Just give it a minute because it's definitely going to come back through. Um, and it's going to change it up. And we have to see well, who ends up on the waiver wire, who makes it through, that sort of thing. And so you're absolutely right. They cannot take this to heart in any way, shape, or form. But I have a question for you guys. So – Young and Milton, I don't think they'll both make that on there. But I'm seeing a lot of predictions saying that Young is going to end up on the on the team and Milton will end up on the practice squad. I just don't see – I liked Young a lot, but I just think Bo Milton seemed to fit a little bit better. And, and it, it looks like you agreed with me, Brandon, that you, that you think that it probably should be Milton. But honestly, I'd be okay with either one, but I'm hoping it's Milton. Uh, yeah, I just think the, the speed that he has at – uh, and and because we didn't see a whole lot of Eskridge and you know, Swain didn't really stand out uh, in the preseason, um, I think that he kind of fits in that mold a little bit better. And Young was just a little bit 
too raw that I, I think that there wouldn't be a ton of people you know, trying to get them on their active roster. Well, and that's John Schneider's is in touch as anyone in the league with that and has his ear to the ground and, and has a feel. And he's been right before they've taken what we felt were risks on cut down day, letting a guy go. We're able to bring him back. Cause he just had his finger on the pulse of the league and he, and he felt safe letting a guy get through waivers. It may come down to that and not who they think the best player is that they have a better chance to get young to the practice squad where Melton might get claimed. I would tend to lean the other way though, because if they're all healthy and it's interesting, you mentioned Swain, because if there is a name of sorts that that is on the bubble that might not make this team. Freddie Swain looks like he might be in a little bit of jeopardy. But to me, Derek Young is is a little more unique in his skill set and his size, certainly. We know Pete Carroll is always looking for quality size in that wide receiver group. It's why they went and made the trade for our Sega Whiteside, who clearly isn't going to make this roster. Um, but Melton and his skill set and 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 how he's built physically is a little more similar to what they already have in Penny Hart and D. Eskridge if D. Eskridge can stay on the field. That's why I would favor Young, but it may ultimately come down to which player they think they can protect. I'm baffled about D. Eskridge. I'm not going to lie. Like, we we have no idea who this kid is. We have no idea what he can do. We we, we haven't seen him for longer than, it feels like five seconds on the field. So I... I get that sometimes they dig their heels in and they're like, no, 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 no. We know what we saw when they played before we drafted them. But for God's sake, the kid, your best ability is your availability and he is never available. It is frustrating to me where I hate to say the word baby, but I feel like they're babying him along. Now it worked out for Daryl Taylor. I'm not going to lie. I get that. Mm -hmm. They held on to him for a whole season. Totally worth it. I'm just not sure when it comes to wide receivers I, I want to know what they see. I'm dying to ask them, what is it that is letting you deal with this kid the way that you have? Well, in my mind, it's it's always going to stick in my head that he could have been Creed Humphrey, that they chose him in the round that they did when they had a glaring need at center and could have taken Creed Humphrey who went three or four picks later. It was rookie of the year and and looks might be one of the best centers in the league already in year two. Um and plus the fact that, as you mentioned, as a wide receiver, there are all these little soft tissue injuries. I mean, he, it's starting to feel very CJ Procise, Rashad Penny-ish. Um, and and we don't even know what the answer is. With Penny, at least, we saw flashes enough to know, God, if he ever could get healthy again, we know how good he could be. I think, to your point, I don't know that we've seen even that kind of enticing upside out of Eskridge. Titans game from last year. That's what we have. <laughs> Yeah, it was like two catches, right? I mean, it, it's and and a bunch of college tape. Um, yeah, it's it, obviously they're committed to him, and he and with his draft position, they're going to give him every every opportunity. Um, but to me, I, he's a guy that I just don't even think about. If he shows up and contributes, it's frosting on the cake, I suppose. Should we talk about some quarterbacks? Yeah, speaking of cut down day. <laughs> so Jacob Eason's not going to make the team, right? Are we confident in that? Um, he doesn't have a shot at the starting job. We know that. Do they carry three? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I did. Oh my goodness. The the debates that I've had on Twitter the last couple of days. And uh, one guy actually told me that they should keep Jacob Eason over Drew Locke because he looked better. Mm. Do they know how to watch quarterbacks play? <laughs> um, most of the debates are centered around you know, you have different schools of fans. Obviously, we know that. Not everyone is as open-minded and analytical as, as the three of us. 
Um, and people get attached to names and they get attached to ideas and they read what other people write and they take that to heart because they don't watch their own or they don't, they don't see things with their own eyes. I've, I've had multiple people literally tell me that they've already judged the Russell Wilson trade as a fail because we don't have a quarterback today. Um, and, and we can talk at length about that. Maybe those people don't understand the plan, but for now, this is what we have. And it's Geno Smith versus Drew Locke. Dana, you touched on this. Brandon, I want to get your thoughts. Did you ever feel like Drew Locke had a fair chance to even win the starting job, COVID or not? Absolutely. I I don't know what other chance that he's supposed to be afforded. Like, is he magically supposed to be considered with the first team just based on talent alone and that he was part of the Russell Wilson trade? I, I absolutely understand the fact that Geno Smith coming back and knowing the offense and getting that first shot and all the practices that we don't see him putting the work into doing what he needs to do uh, in practice. Uh, it's, it just can't be judged based on what we've seen in a couple of preseason games. And I know I, 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 I sympathize with people and yeah, it was kind of a, a, a cheeky comment to say, you know, how do they know how to judge quarterbacks? But um, you know, it's, when you when you watch in the preseason and you see Geno Smith not leading any scoring drives, yeah. I can see why people would look at that and say, "Well, gosh, zero points with Geno, or at least touchdowns." Um, yeah, no thanks. I'll I'll take my shot with a guy who looks a lot more exciting. And then yeah, he can throw an interception. But look at Drew Locke; he came back on the very next drive and threw a touchdown strike in the end zone. Um, that that's fun to watch. Um, yeah. And, and so if, if you're just looking at it that sort of way, I can, I can understand people who and understand the same people that say, yeah, you don't have a quarterback after the Russell Wilson trade. I can see how that would be the expectation because you did have a quarterback as part of that trade. And why do you, uh, why do you make that trade if you don't think that, that Locke can, can be competitive in that spot? So you, do, you see people get attached to ideas based on just that trade alone of, oh, well, John Schneider, he must think that Locke could be the starter of the season because he was part of that particular trade. And man, if you just look at all the other pieces that were part of that Russell Wilson trade, and then you and you look and see what we have seen through this preseason, I mean, the bigger pieces are Charles Cross, the future number one uh, pick that we get in 2023 mm-hmm. as part of the Broncos, the future number one pick that the Seahawks get for probably being a seven-win team or less uh, going into 2023, uh, the the two second round picks, Boye Mafe, uh, Tariq Woolen, you know, those are all part of the package. So I, I don't think that it, just because quarterbacks are such a big part of the NFL, it doesn't mean that it has to be this year with that guy part of that package or any of the draft picks that they potentially missed out on, like, I don't know, Kenny Pickett or uh, Sam Howell, who is my guy. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I, I see it both ways. I 100% understand why Pete Carroll named Geno Smith the starter for game one. And I don't necessarily disagree with it. I just would have, as a fan, it's much more fun watching Drew Locke play. He makes throws that Geno Smith knows he, he can't make. And the arm talent is real and it's tantalizing and it's exciting. And, and with where they're at this year, I can live with the interceptions, but I get why Pete Carroll can't. And that's what makes it really hard to debate with people sometimes is I'll throw my opinion out there that I'd play mm-hmm. Drew Locke. I'd let it fly. 
but yeah. they Drew Locke is fun. I said this on the Seahawkers podcast right. this week. Drew Locke is fun. He's not Pete Carroll's kind of fun. Right. At least not now. And I don't think any of us doubt that Locke's going to get a chance to play at some point. Right. I just, I was surprised that he never got a chance in practice or very few chances to ever do a true split. He didn't get to throw to the ones, you know, that game I've had people come up to me uh, over the last week and say, Oh, your guy drew looked terrible against Cowboys three picks, huh? Well, let's give him two picks because Aaron Fuller should be on the hook for the third one. And you so can, do you think he was owed that though? Do you think he was owed? Uh, I don't think snaps so. I don't ever think one? anything in the NFL is owed to anyone, but if you truly wanted to give him a shot, why not split reps early in camp and see if he continues to deserve that? I just thought it put him at a disadvantage. Um, I would have liked to, but we'll never know because if he hadn't, I said COVID aside, but if he hadn't gotten sick, he was going to get that opportunity against Chicago. And, and I've heard Chuck Arnold say the words, we really stunk in the second game because our, our quarterback was sick. So they may have legitimately thought that that was his opportunity and that may have changed things. And it, it really, the, the decision was pretty much written in stone once he couldn't play against the bears. The receivers who played in the bears game could have dropped the drew lock passes just as well as they dropped the Geno passes. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm just, as a, as a guy who pays a couple grand a year for season tickets, man, I would much rather watch drew lock win five games this year than Geno Smith win five games this year. It'd be a lot more fun. But here's, 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 let's, let's look at it this way. Here's the thing you might get to because they're not married to either one of these quarterbacks. Right. right. They are not saying that we are going to go to the Super Bowl. So Gino has to be the guy. That is not it. The thing with Pete Carroll and quarterbacks. And I think one of the sticking points he and Russell would have sometimes is he wants consistency, consistency. Mm -hmm. He wants to know what he's going to get on the field with Drew Locke. Unfortunately, even with this talented arm, he, he is the mo- one. Of, he's horridly inconsistent. Yeah. He cannot make the same pass ten times in a row. He just can't do it. Right. Right. I am not, and I live in Kansas City. The kid is a god around here. He played at Mizzou. I mean, he's yeah. people. Oh, they love Drew Lock. Danny, you're so love Drew Lock. I'm like, yeah, he's had a bunch of different offensive coordinators. Yeah, he's had this problem, that problem. But even when given the opportunity. He has a hard time being consistent. And that's what they want this year. They want just some consistency. They want these players to get better. They know exactly who they are. They know exactly what they're probably going to get this year so that then they can get it next year. But here's the one thing that did bother me. I feel like in the most Pete Carroll, John Snyder way, we all got kind of lied to. That they know, they knew all along, they brought Drew in to be a backup to Geno. And I'm not saying that Gino never had the shot, but he really was going to have to wow them in order to to knock that that hierarchy up and to shake it up a little bit. Yeah. The thing with with Gino is he already knew the system, so he was already going to have a leg up from the beginning. They know what they can get from him, and so Drew is going to have to come in and really, really shine. Was that his opportunity? Maybe, yeah. And did he get sick? And that sucked. And I felt terrible for him because yeah. you know he really wanted that opportunity. But truly, I don't think it matters. I don't think it's going to matter if either one of them had ended up on the field. Yes, would Drew Locke be more fun to watch? Well, it'd be great for content because you'd have something funny to talk about every single time you came on the show. But I just don't think, I would not rule out seeing Drew Locke. If Gino stinks it up five games in, well, hell, why not? Just throw him in. Let's see what happens. And so it'll be interesting to see 
how that vibe is this year, because I think it could end up being really fun because you have no idea who's going to start. You make a good point because Geno Smith has never proven a, that he's all that durable. You know, he's been nicked up in his career and B that he can put long stretches of, of effectiveness together, even in the games that he played last year when Russell was hurt. Um, you know, there were times he, he did not look good. And, and so, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to take long before we see Drew Locke. And that just comes from, I don't think Gino's going to go put eight really, really good games together. Um, he might. And, and I don't think that's outside of the I realm. Of, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility either. I think in this offense, because I do think, and this is, this is something I want to ask the two of you about as well. Um, I feel like this preseason, we got to see this offense, this kind of Rams based Shane Waldron run offense performed a little more true to what it's supposed to be. Um, because there were things that when Russell ran this offense that either didn't fit his skill set or that he was unwilling to do that were key components of this offense. We saw a lot more throws over the middle. We saw seam throws. We saw the tight end and the running backs a lot more involved. And I think both Gino and Drew are better at throwing those types of balls than Russell was. And so we got to see kind of the full aspect of this offense. I could see Gino being effective in running that type of style, taking what the defense gives him behind that offensive line we talked at length about and with a solid running game. And so I'm not, the fact that I would, that I was pulling for Drew Locke and would prefer he be under center just from a fun fan perspective, I see the logic and I'm not, it's not outside the realm of possibility that this team could, could win as many, if not more games than people are expecting if Gino plays effectively. Yeah, it's going to continue to be a question at that spot as long as neither one is showing. Because I, I, from watching preseason, I don't think either guy won the job. I mean, well, especially based on Drew and the turnovers, he yeah. he, he had he had, and that's why I don't necessarily buy the idea of that he had to perform any kind of in any kind of extraordinary way. Uh, because Gino didn't exactly set a high bar for him based on what we saw from him in the preseason games. So yeah. I, I guess I, I look at the fact that of Drew not winning the job as he just didn't he didn't show enough while he was out there. And, you know, he may get that opportunity, though, because if if we see more of what we saw from Gino in the in the preseason in the first three games and they're not scoring points, they're not moving the ball, uh, then it's not going to be that long before we see Drew out there either. Yeah. Fair to say that I don't think Drew lost the job as much as Gino didn't lose the job. Um, <laughs> Which is a great competition, right? <laughs> right. I know. And we, we never got to see Gino with DK and Tyler full-time either. And, and we saw in a small sample last year that, that DK was a little bit more uh, effective or uh, Gino was a little more effective throwing to DK at times, even than Russell was. And then he really looked for that. And that maybe uh, his arm, uh, you, you know, just the way he plays the game might, might lend itself a little more to DK, especially in the red zone. So now, you got to ask it. Yes. You got to ask it. I that's, that's, that's why I took a deep breath. It. That's why I took the deep breath. Okay, good. <laughs> we've, we've talked about these two quarterbacks, right. but might there be a third? So it's out there. We, everybody knows. In fact, fans are bringing signs to the stadium that they want Jimmy Garoppolo to be the next quarterback oh. of the Celsius. Here's what we know so far. We know that the, that the 49ers have committed to Trey Lance. They've said it publicly. We know that they've even asked Garoppolo to stay away from the facility. He doesn't even have a playbook because they don't want to share that information with him. He's not going to team meetings. We've seen reports that he's healthy, that he's throwing again, that that, that 
um, that that surgi- uh, surgically repaired right shoulder, uh, he'll be ready to play soon. Here's what we think we know. A lot of people expect, and I've seen it even this morning, that we're going to know whether he's on the whether he's cut or not. 49ers have tried to trade him in his $22 million salary. They can't find any takers because everyone knows they're going to release him. But there's a thought out there that that has to happen tomorrow. Uh, I have read reports, I believe the Mike Lombardi report, specifically suggested that the 49ers want to wait until the last possible second and that they could wait until the eve of the first regular season game to cut him and not be on the hook for guaranteeing his veteran salary for the season that they might wait that long specifically in case Seattle's thinking about signing him because those two teams play in week two. Let's just stick with the bottom line here. Brandon, I'll start with you. And then Dana, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Let's put a number on it. What are the odds you think that Seattle will make an aggressive move to sign Jimmy Garoppolo? An aggressive move. That they will actively try to engage and work out a deal and bring him in as their quarterback. Man, I, I just, I, I have so little interest in it. I guess it's not really occurred <laughs> to me that uh, uh, to, for the team to push for it. Yeah. As much as it would be fun to beat the 49ers twice with Jimmy G as our quarterback, like that's the only upside I feel like uh, it would be having Jimmy G, but I think that they'll, they'll do that anyway, just because we have the 49ers number. Um, uh-huh. And so it's going to be, it's going to be fun regardless. Um Again, I, I, I'm kind of in the boat with Dana and that I'm looking toward 2023 and the quarterbacks there. And yeah, Jimmy is top half of the league, maybe at quarterback. I think with the NFL top 100, they say he came out at 106, which hmm. is, uh, I think, 14th best quarterback is what I read. I, I'm really not interested in having the 14th best quarterback and being eight and nine versus know six and 11 or seven and 10 so you don't want him but do you think that they'll make the effort based on the way that he's played against seattle in previous years i don't i don't know if they do yeah dana i i put it at 30 percent. i think there's a 30 percent chance i'm not writing it off because i do think there is a little twinge of we're gonna richard sherman you to the San Francisco 49ers where Sherman went from us to them and Mm -hmm. now back at the same time, I can't imagine that Jimmy Garoppolo would agree to a one-year deal unless he was just trying to stick it to the 49ers. And I think that's all Seattle would want him for. They would want him to come in, maybe play for a year and then go get their young big, good teams are built on rookie quarterback deals. And so you need that rookie quarterback. And so they're not going to give him the money. I really, truly believe, think with no insider information in any way, shape or form that he'll probably end up in New York with the Giants. They have about five million in cap space. And especially with Tyrod Taylor getting hurt. Granted, they say he'll be fine. I I just I I feel like they would jump that gun and say, "Okay, we're going to take you and give you a couple of years here. Um, I think there's a couple other teams that would be a longer term deal than a year. So I just don't think even if Seattle wanted him, I'm not sure they would win that fight for him not that there's going to be a huge fight for him but just the craziness of the media surrounding it is just making me laugh 
And then the complete meltdown that the 49ers fans are having at the idea of him being in Seattle is quite entertaining. That's and why so, I want him just to yeah. melt down 49ers fans. <laughs> so um, I think, do I think Seattle's completely out of the mix? No. And if it's just a spite thing for him, it's possible. But I just think that there's a few other logic, more logical places for him to end up. It's it's so hard to tell because the reports are all over the place. You know, we we saw the report, I think it was uh, Schefter a couple of months ago or six weeks ago that said Seattle's done film work on him, that they've really done the background, that they dug into Garoppolo to see if he'd be a fit for the offense. Um, and that some of the that back that background. Why do they have to do done. film work on a guy they play twice a year? They know exactly who he is. Those reports come out because they could say that about anybody because that's what it a professional me. NFL team would do. <laughs> and those are reports oftentimes leaked by the camp of the player to drum up interest. And when you look at, and this is why I'm so torn on it. And, and I know this is a cop out. I'm going to say 50%. I'll say 51% because when you say 30%, doesn't John Schneider check every player that's ever available. That's you could almost say that about anybody um, at the right price. Obviously that it all depends on. You how, said serious though, like a serious play for like, him. are they waiting for him to be cut? Cause that's what some people believe is they're just waiting around for him to be cut. And, and I've had moments where I believe that because I don't believe when you read between the lines, when Pete came out, before this last preseason game and said, we might have two number ones. To me, that's not a ringing endorsement of Geno Smith. I don't think they're married to him. I don't think they're in love with him. He's just the best, the guy that they have right now. And Pete Carroll always believes he can win. And I think you can make an argument that he might have a reason to think that this roster as constructed can be more competitive than the analysts are giving him credit for if they get good quarterback play. So I can see them looking into it. But I think about the Baker Mayfield deal. How many varying reports and opposite reports did we see during that whole roller coaster where they were the favorite to land him and they were looking into it and they were going hard after him or they were the same thing. They were they were clearing salary cap space. And when they had done Shelby's hair, Shelby Harris's deal and converted some of his salary to bonus, there was a thought that, oh, they're trying to clear cap space. And then when you saw what the Panthers ended up having to give up for Mayfield and how easy it was to acquire him and how much money the Browns picked up, if the Seahawks had any interest, they would have made that move. And so you just don't know what to believe. I, I tend to think that Jimmy's not going to sign right away and that he's going to sit back and wait for an injury or a more obvious situation that makes sense to him. Here's the thing I think that I, I hope people remember is Pete said, I don't remember who he said it to, but he said that he has a five-year plan, which made me laugh because I don't think Pete's going to coach for five years. In fact, I've stated publicly many times, I already think our next head coach is in building and I have a pretty good idea who I think it is. But I think his plan is to win another Super Bowl in that time frame, And the best way to do that is to build your team, the whole team as beefy as you possibly can, just like they did in 2011 and 12 and get your quarterback who can get you there because Russell wasn't Russell when we won the Super Bowl, right? Like mm -hmm. he still made his silly mistakes and he really developed over the next couple of years, but the rest of the team was so good around him that he could make those kind of rookie like mistakes and was good enough to carry him when they needed it. Right. He had that both. So to me, it would be illogical or almost feel like a step back for Seattle to say, this is our plan, but we're going to go grab this guy. Jimmy Garoppolo has been to the Super Bowl. You know, we get it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that that's the caliber of quarterback that he is. And so I think that that's just something, It to me, logically, it doesn't make sense. 
but this team is not always logical. So right. therefore, there's always a possibility. Yeah, that's why you build the team this year and then you go get Tom Brady uh, next season. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Gardner Minshew and then I oh, might have oh, been oh. on board. Oh, Sorry. <laughs> we but will, I take Gardner over Jimmy for we, sure. <laughs> we will be having a discussion next year about who the bridge quarterback is as well. But um, before we get there, let's let's do this then. If because we're going to talk more uh, specifically over the next couple of weeks, Dana, both you and I, and uh, first of all, just so people know, um, Dana and I will be doing this show uh, three times a week minimum. Uh, Dana midweek will be hosting uh, an episode. I'll be doing um, the 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 game recaps early in the week, game previews later in the week. You'll be joining me whenever you're available, um, and so we're going to dive into the opener between now and then. I don't want to get too heavily involved in that. But I do believe that this played a big part in the quarterback decision. I believe that Pete Carroll believes that if they can get solid quarterback play week one, they can beat the Broncos. And I think he wants that really badly. What are your thoughts? I think he wants it. Uh, we'll have to see if, if he can get what he wants. Uh, I think he um, believes they can beat yeah, the Broncos. Yeah, I think, well, Pete's an optimistic guy. Right. And I, I think with the, the strong running game and having a quarterback that's not going to turn it over and the offensive line pushing people around like they were in the preseason, I, I think this could be a competitive game against the Broncos. And I, I believe Pete thinks that, yeah, absolutely, that they can win that game. And, you know, I don't know where you come out in terms of, Dana, like the idea of uh, getting Russell Wilson the, the first game of the season I, I think it might help Seattle a little bit just because he hasn't had the preseason action necessarily with the Broncos. Uh, I don't think he's, you know, it's going to to be different with him and having a new offensive system, a new guy running the offense. I think it could, uh, it could hinder Russ more than, uh, and than it would help to see him later on in the season. I completely agree with that. I also agree that it's going to help the fan base get it done, get it over with, focus on the right. We don't have to hear about it for 10 weeks before it happens, right? Like it, it's done, it's gone, and we don't have to think about it anymore. And remember, I cover the AFC West too, so I'm stuck covering this team whether I want to or not. But so, but here's the thing I think, I think that you're absolutely right in that it gives Seattle a little more of a competitive edge. The other competitive edge that it gives it is there is no one on the planet that knows Russell Wilson better mm -hmm. than this team and this coaching staff. And from what I've read about Denver and, you know, Hackett coming out and basically saying it's Russ's offense. If he doesn't want it, we don't do it. And if he does, it's all his. There's a lot of speculation that this offense could actually look a lot like Seattle's offense over the last couple of years because that's what he knows and that's what he does. And and he just really thought that he needed better personnel to execute it. That's Russell's opinion. He's absolutely you know allowed to have it. So I'm thinking it will be interesting. And I think that's one of the reasons why we never saw him on the field is they didn't want to tip that hat in any yeah. way, shape or form. Yeah. But I do think that you're right, that actually this being the first game, and I told Dan in a conversation, I was not going to watch this game. I was just going to skip it. <laughs> I was not going to watch it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be stressed out. I didn't want to be upset because I mean, I liked Russ, but I'm a defense lover. But then I was like, oh, if one of them gets after Russ, I'm going to be real happy and I'm going to be sad if I missed it. So I'm going to, I'm going to watch it. But um, you so have to. I think you're kind I'm, of obligated now. 
I have to. Thanks. <laughs> but I do think that this game will be a little more even than some of the national media is giving them um, unless Seattle just completely falls apart, which is absolutely an option, especially mm-hmm. since we saw basically no starters in yeah, preseason right. either. Well, let's finish with this then. Dana, I'll start with you. Realistically, what do you see as far let's just talk numbers. What what kind of record do you think, based on what you've seen of this roster in preseason and who we know is is going to be at the quarterback position, what are your expectations for this team? My expectations are really low, and that actually makes me happy because that's I'm not a tank, like purposely lose kind of a person. But this year is a developmental year, and I want to see that. I want them to focus more on developing these players. A lot of times that doesn't equal wins. Let's just be honest. So I I wouldn't be surprised if Geno played the entire season. Let's just roll with that. I could see easily a five-win season, and actually I would be somewhat impressed with that, to be honest with you. And it's just because of some of the caliber of the teams who have played in the, NF- in the NFC West. I mean, let's admit that, that I don't know that our streak against beating the Niners is going to continue this year. No, that we'll was see. part of the five wins when you included five. <laughs> oh, two okay, wins yes. over the Niners. Of course it is. Three right. other wins. What was I thinking? But um, I do think, though, um, they do have some beatable teams that they can beat out there. Um, but I just I feel five or six wins is how this season is going to end. And I'm going to be absolutely okay with that. Yeah, low stress season, right? With, uh, with six Finally, wins, no right? expectations. Finally. <laughs> yeah, that's it's fun, isn't it? I mean, there, you know, we're not in the majority. Most of the fan base, it'll be a very high stress season. They won't like the losses. They won't understand the plan, and the, and they're going to get hung up on. You're going to hear it at some point this season. If if they're two and seven at some point. Fire Pete Carroll, fire John Schneider. I had someone tell me that already this week just because they made that trade. Called it the worst trade in NFL history. Everybody should be fired. You're going to hear that. But people like us are going to enjoy the journey and watching the process unfold. I tend to side on, like, I'm with you, Dana. I would love to have my choice of these quarterbacks. I would love, I have my favorite, but there's potentially five, six, seven based on some projections, guys that could be first round quarterbacks next year. You're going to have your choice, all shapes and sizes and styles of play. I want my pick though. So I'm not going to be mad. They go on 17. I'm not going to be mad about that to have that first pick. I tend though to think, first of all, we talked about the talent that we think is on this roster. I tend to believe that Pete Carroll may be at his best when he's building and when he's an underdog. We saw that at USC when he built that program. We saw it in the early years here. I think he's fired up to a level that he hasn't been in the last couple of years. He will find a way most likely to, to urge this team to more wins than they should probably, probably win. Very possible. I think you That's mentioned, what I, see. I think you mentioned seven wins, I Brandon. I see Pete Carroll stick it to the lead. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think, awesome. I think seven or eight is reasonable. I think they find a way to get to that level. If you look at the schedule, there's some, there's some winnable games on there against teams at home that they should beat. And if you run the football effectively and you play good defense and you, and you don't screw it up at the quarterback position, they'll find a way to win those games. And so I think people that want the first pick in the draft or want them to tank or want a top three pick are going to be disappointed. Um, knowing as we'll talk a lot more in the future that with the pick ammo, the draft ammo they have next year, they can move up if they need to. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a much more competitive week in week out season than most people are expecting. 
with the spotlight on Jason Myers almost every oh. week. Yes. <laughs> what's the what? yeah? Oh, what's the over under on uh, which week we end up changing the kicker? I, I think he could make it the season. I just think that the projection from six to I'll even use Dana's five wins from five wins to nine wins that could that could vary wildly based on the leg of of Myers this year. Well, listen, you guys, this was fun. Um, Brandon, thank you so much uh, for reaching out to Dana and I and giving us this opportunity. We're still going to we're still going to have you on on a regular basis. You'll be over in the Seahawkers feed. So fans, fans of Brandon and your dulcet tone uh, can (laughs) still find you there. Um, Take a moment, you guys, and let people know where they can find you on the socials and what you'll be up to. Yeah, you can check uh, any of the work I do at out at seahawkerspodcast.com. We're doing shows almost every day a week, which is why I needed to, to track down some people to take over the field goals feed. And I'm happy that you two are the ones doing it. Um, really looking forward to because, I mean, I can't just listen to my show. I need other people to listen to when, when I'm wanting Seahawks content. So now I know where, where to tune in. And Dana, where can people find you? Oh my gosh. I feel like, where can't you find me at this point? Okay. So um, obviously you can find me here. Um, I also do the Our Turf Football podcast and we write for that website. The website's under construction right now. It should be done here in the next week or two. Um, and out for those of you who don't know, because there's a lot of people who don't know, Our Turf Football has been around for 11 years and we've been doing this podcast forever. And um, it's for women talking football and believe it or not, the majority of our listeners are men. So don't let that scare you <laughs> off. We have a great time over there. Um, and then of course I do real Hawk talk um, with that crew, which yeah. is always an adventure. Um, I do that one. Um, every, like just about every week, every other week. Um, and then believe it or not, I actually do an NFL UK podcast too, occasionally. <laughs> so you find me there. So just come find me on Twitter. I'll link it all there. D-A-Y-N-A-O-G on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Seahawks forever. Uh, I'm not retiring the Emerald City Sportscast as a whole. Might have to hop on there a few times later this year to talk about some Mariners playoff baseball, but uh, primarily, uh, well, 100% of my energy now talking Seahawks will be here on the Field Goals podcast. Again, Brandon, thank you so much. And uh, Dana, I'm really looking forward to working with you. And uh, go Hawks. And we'll be back uh, in a matter of days to talk more Seahawks football. We'll see you then.